Acts chapter 16, verses 16 and 17. Acts 16, beginning in verse 16. Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl, possessed with the spirit of divination, met us, who brought her master's much profit by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to us the way of salvation. In our last study, we saw the beginning of the conquest of Europe by the kingdom of God and the establishment of a congregation of Christ in the city of Philippi in Greece. We've noted several times that this was an extremely significant move because the Christianization of the Greeks was a major step in the divine accommodation and reappropriation of human civilization and genius for the glory of God. Before this, the Greek world flourished in many respects, but always with the severe limitations brought by the delusions of immorality and paganism that dominated the people of that land. In the first case of conversion in Macedonia, we did not encounter that world. Instead, the gospel first found an isolated beacon of faithfulness to the one true God in a Yahweh-worshipping woman named Lydia. Now we turn to face the broader and more common scenes of that world. Verse 16. Now it happened as we went to prayer. It seems that Paul and company had allowed the oratory to serve in the place of the synagogue in this community and had established a custom of attending the prayer times there and certainly of teaching those who gathered with them just as they had previously taught Lydia and the other women. The verse continues that a certain slave girl possessed with the spirit of divination met us, who brought her master's much profit by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. I want us to consider all of this information together, and there is a great deal worthy of discussion in these verses. This is the third time in Acts that Luke has reported encounters with those who were possessed or who had or were afflicted by unclean spirits. I take all of these expressions to refer to the same kind of evil spiritual activity, and I think it would be appropriate to spend some time here considering what the Bible says about it. First, we should ask who or what are the agents at work when the Bible speaks of evil spirits. This terminology is used interchangeably with the work of Satan, Matthew 12, 24-28, fallen angels, Ephesians 6, 12, and demons, Luke 4, 33, 8, 2, and others besides. There's disagreement among Bible scholars, however, whether it is right to identify demons with fallen angels or whether they are some other variety of malevolent spiritual entities, for example, the spirits of wicked dead men. I've tended to agree with the latter view. Yet the point made in Matthew 12, 
is that regardless of who the demons are, they are in league with the devil and somehow subject to him, just like the fallen angels, if in fact they are not the same beings as fallen angels. Second, we should ask, what are the various works ascribed to these creatures? First, unclean spirits work to deceive the kings of the earth and use them to attack God's people in an effort to destroy the purposes of God's kingdom, Revelation 16, 13-14. Satan himself is involved in this work, but so are the fallen angels and the demons. All three kinds of unclean spirit are directly connected with this kind of task in the Bible. Daniel 10, 13-20, Revelation 20, 7-8. And this work is discussed in both the Old and New Covenant Scripture collections, covering the whole history of humanity, as the aforementioned references demonstrate. This deception comes through false teaching, 1 Timothy 4.1, 1 Kings 22.22-23, false religion, 1 Corinthians 10.20, general temptation through inordinate desires, John 13.2, and attacks against the mental and emotional states of men and women, 1 Samuel 16 and 14. One may ask how evil spirits are able to do these things, and I think the Bible gives a rather clear answer, even if it is a little bit controversial in some modern circles. Much like God himself, God has allowed or empowered these infernal spiritual beings to place thoughts in the minds of men and women directly and supernaturally. This is a kind of providence that is worked by both God and Satan. It is also possible that Satan and other evil spirits are sometimes allowed to have additional providential powers over the forces of nature, though those are usually reserved for God. We see him giving them over to the devil in Job 1, verses 12, 16, and 19, and 2, 6 through 7. But the capacity to enter into the hearts of people through suggesting, or we might say implanting, ideas seems to be the normal operation of these beings. By this work, evil spirits are not taking control of humans against whom they are working any more than God himself overrides the free will of men or women when he puts something in their hearts, but rather they use their power to plant an idea or thought subliminally as it were, into a person's mind. These thoughts are not revelations of heavenly mysteries and should not be confused with inspiration. Simply, they are ideas that might just as easily have entered into the heart naturally, yet they are placed by the spiritual being at a particular time, either to strengthen or test the individual, as in the case of God doing this sort of thing, or to tempt or deceive or discourage an individual, as in the case of an evil spirit doing it. I see no reason to reject a literal interpretation of the many statements that describe God as putting something into a person's heart, or the devil entering a person's heart, or filling a person's heart, or moving someone to do something. I'm convinced that all of these statements should be taken at face value, and understood as actually describing how spiritual beings interact with mankind, 
And I'm further convinced that it poses no threat to biblical teachings on free will or the cessation of spiritual gifts or other things of that sort. I share all of this information so that we can understand the ordinary operations of evil spirits in contrast to the extraordinary work under consideration in this text in Acts 16 and several other places in the New Covenant Scripture as well. Here, we read about something much more extreme than a mere implantation of a thought into a person's mind that they are free in turn to either accept or reject. Luke says that this girl was possessed, unlike the kinds of evil spiritual activity discussed above, Possession is not something we read about in the Old Testament. It is, however, quite common in the Gospels, and then less common but occasionally mentioned in the book of Acts. In cases of demonic possession, as we noted earlier, the Bible writers use language that describes certain persons as having a demon or an unclean spirit, but then also describing the demon as having the person that is, having control of them in such a way that they were able to torment and afflict them mentally and physically. In cases of possession, the unclean spirit could control the person's nervous system and render them mute and blind, Matthew 9, 32-33, 12-22, and Mark 9, 17, or cause them to have symptoms similar to epilepsy, Matthew 17, 14-18, or to display insane behavior, Luke 8, 26-28, and even to have what appeared to be superhuman strength, Luke 8, 29. While the Bible is clear that the first kind of spiritual activity is a continuous work of Satan and evil in opposition to the kingdom of God in this world, against which all of us wrestle every day, Ephesians 6 and verse 12, it is less clear as to whether this extraordinary manifestation of demonic power continues to occur or was limited to the ministry of Christ and his apostles, but the latter certainly seems to be the case. This girl does not seem to exhibit any particular physical problems associated with the presence of the evil spirit in her, but Luke says that the spirit enabled her to practice fortune-telling. Well, this raises another important but difficult question— could evil spirits work miracles or empower humans to work them? First, we should note that Luke specifically states that this girl was possessed by a spirit of divination, or more literally, a python spirit. In Greek mythology, Python was a dragon who lived in a cave on Mount Parnassus near the city of Delphi, slain by the god Apollo. It was believed that the chief priestess of Apollo's temple in that city was thus empowered to forecast the future, and she was known as the Oracle of Delphi, or officially as the Pythia, or the Pythoness. Afterward, those who were thought to possess the gift of fortune-telling were connected to the famous Oracle by being alleged to possess the Python spirit as well. The Oracle at Delphi was extremely renowned and even drew kings to her stool for consultation regarding how they should conduct wars and other important events. Common folks would not necessarily be able to afford a visit with her, but those like her filled the world and were asked to offer guidance and direction on marriage, business ventures, farming, and even finding lost items. 
Many scholars believe that the oracle at Delphi was brought under a chemically induced hallucination by toxic fumes that came up from a fissure in the ground located in the temple. When the woman was placed on a stool over this hole, she would eventually become ecstatic and begin to convulse and to shout strange, riddle-like expressions, so-called dark sayings, which were taken as projections of the future if they could be deciphered. This brings two questions before us. Is Luke saying that this woman was being empowered by a demon to actually foresee the future? And by extension, would he then be implying that by use of the phrase Python spirit, the oracle at Delphi herself, as well as others like her, were in fact empowered by evil spirits to do the things they did? I personally do not think that the answer to either of those questions is yes. While I trust that I've made it sufficiently clear, I do believe in evil spirits and in their supernatural work in the world, both in ancient and modern times, yet I believe that there are certain things that Satan and fallen angels and demons cannot do. There are certain things that only God can do, and these are the things the Bible calls miracles. There is no doubt that evil spirits, whether they're fallen angels or the spirits of the wicked dead, would have access to knowledge that some men do not have access to. For example, not all men know the one true God. They could, but some men are in delusion and darkness, and they do not know him. Yet all demons know that there is one God, and they tremble at the thought of his power, James 2 and 19. Furthermore, not all men realize that after death there will come a judgment at which time the fortunes of men may be radically reversed from what they are in this world. Most people ought to be able to know that. God has been very clear about that throughout history. But many men have blinded themselves and shut their eyes to it. But demons know that this is true. Luke 16, 19-31. Furthermore, not all men know that Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of God, or that the apostles were his authorized representatives in this world. There are many men who could know that, but they have rejected the evidence and have closed themselves off against that notion. But all demons appear to know those facts with certainty, Luke 4.33 and Acts 19.5. So it would be possible for unclean spirits to inform men of things they did not know, and even otherwise could not know, just as it would be possible for one man to inform another man of something he did not know or otherwise could not know. But this would not be a miracle. It would simply be sharing information. I see no evidence, however, that unclean spirits have the power to foretell the future. Only God has that power. It is a miracle. Only God can work miracles. That is, only God can cause that which is otherwise impossible to take place. John 3, 2, Matthew 19, 26. However, it is possible for men or demons to pretend to have at least certain miraculous powers and to deceive others into believing that they have performed things that ought to be called wonders. The Bible speaks of this as lying or false wonders and states that they may actually serve as signs to give authority to men who are telling lies. It appears to me 
that the Bible presents these signs not as real manifestations of demonic power, but simply as lies, most likely performed through sleight-of-hand trickery or leisure domain. Now, it is important to realize that not every miracle of God can be counterfeited. This was discovered by the magicians in Pharaoh's court. They reached a point where they could no longer mimic what Moses and Aaron were doing. But some of the miracles of God can be counterfeited, and evidently one that can be rather successfully faked, at least sometimes, is foretelling the future. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 21 through 22, God said that if a man claimed to be a prophet from God, one way to test whether he was a true prophet or a false prophet was to see if the thing he said would come to pass did in fact come to pass. If it did not, he was a lying or false prophet. However, in Deuteronomy 13, verses 1 through 3, Moses says that even if the thing does come to pass and appears as a sign or a wonder to the people, the man may still be a false prophet. The Lord may be testing you, Moses says, and the sure test is whether the so-called prophet tells you to follow the Lord or other gods. If he leads Israel away from God, he is a false prophet, regardless of what wonders he is able to work. In this section in Deuteronomy 13, there's nothing said about demons, but even if demons were involved, it is not necessarily that they were giving the man the power to see the future. They were just helping him lie and deceive the people, feeding them convincing and well-crafted lies to pass on to the others. The Bible actually makes it quite clear that Satan and evil spirits cannot tell the future. If they could, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 8. Thus, I think it is best to interpret this account as a case of demon possession that resulted in a strange, ecstatic behavior, similar to the mental illness that we see in our world, and it was used by the owners of the slave girl to pass for Delphi-like fortune-telling. The oracle at Delphi likely did not have a demon. She was just under the influence of some kind of hallucinogenic substance, but the superstitious people of that day and age were eager to receive her guidance and were therefore impressed by it. Evidently, either the demon or the masters of the girl were very skilled in their deceptions, if our suggestion is right, because this had become a highly lucrative business for them. Luke says she brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. Thus, the lies, inspired and supported by the devil, had taken deep root in the lives of the people of Philippi through greed and through a desire for direction without accountability to God. That last point bears some emphasis. Some people might ask why the occult is so strongly condemned in the Bible if it is all based on lies and fakery. But of course, that's what makes it so deeply satanic. Satan is a liar and the father of it. And when he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, John 8, 44. The occult is popular among men because it is an easy way to make money. And it gives people the option of seeking spiritual help on making right and left decisions while rejecting the authority of God over right and wrong decisions. But the occult is also popular with evil spirits because it gives them a powerful venue through which to spread their lies. God is diminished. Man is exalted. 
truth is obscured, and carnal passions are treated like divine revelations. Verse 17. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out. Crying out is commonly associated with demon possession and seems to be another manifestation of insanity, as you might think of a deranged person screaming and having no sense of decorum or self-control, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. This perhaps sounds very strange, because at first glance there appears to be nothing problematic about what this girl is saying. And in fact, there may be nothing problematic. During the ministry of Jesus, demons confessed his divine nature and his true identity on several occasions, but Jesus never accepted or allowed that. The most common explanation, almost certainly the correct one, is that Jesus did not want to be associated with the demonic world, and when those who were given to tell lies chose to tell occasional truths, the truth can be entangled and lost in the lies. However, it's also possible that this message is not as truthful as it first appears in our English versions. The title, Most High God, was fairly common in the vernacular of the Greco-Roman world, as attested on various inscriptions that survive to the present day, to speak of their own pantheon of false gods and some of the beings within it. In fact, when the Jews would talk about Yahweh in these contexts, they would simply call him the Most High, without adding the superlative God in order to disassociate themselves from polytheistic paganism. So the girl's words could have been taken as uniting the Apostle Paul and his company with the local religions of the Gentiles. Furthermore, the phrase, who proclaimed to us the way of salvation, might be better translated, who proclaimed to us a way of salvation, in which case she could be understood to mean that the Christ they preached was just one more option in the already crowded buffet of religious choices available to the people. This was a world where, for long centuries, the devil had reigned supreme. Evil spirits and demons had been not only the deceptive authors of their philosophy and religion, they were the very objects of their worship. And at least for the recent time, they had been given reign to torment and overtake the bodies of some. Now the kingdom of God has arrived to reclaim the people for his own. But the devil would not and will not surrender his territories without a fight. Indeed, there is a spiritual warfare that rages to the present day. It is imperative that we recognize the reality of our enemy and the nature of his devices and schemes if we are to be triumphant. But the good news of Jesus Christ is that through his work, through his death and resurrection and reign in heaven, these powerful spiritual forces of evil have been defeated. They are crushed beneath his feet. And Paul says, God will crush Satan and all his fallen angels and demons under our feet shortly. Romans 16, verse 20. Thanks for listening to Verse by Verse. I'm Clinton DeFrance. I'm a Christian Bible student and evangelist from Tulsa, Oklahoma. And this podcast is made available by the Congregation of Christians, of which I am a member in East Tulsa. Please come meet us if you have the chance. You can learn more about us at our website, tulsachurchofchrist.com. 
Our music is from Andrew Martin, a very talented Christian brother in the Dallas-Fort Worth area of Texas. You can check out his SoundCloud for more beautiful and uplifting productions from him. For news, articles, previous episodes, or to request a Bible study or a lecture series with me, visit vbvpodcast.com. Please subscribe to the podcast and give us a good review if you enjoy the studies. God bless and have a great week. From all the dark places of earth, heathen races, oh, see how the thick shadows fly. The voice of salvation awakes every nation. Come over and help us, they cry. The kingdom is spreading, oh, tell ye the story. God's better exalted shall be. The earth shall be full of his knowledge and glory as waters that cover the sea. With praising and singing and jubilant ringing, their arms of rebellion cast down. At last every nation, the Lord of salvation, with glory their effort shall crown. The kingdom is spreading, oh, tell ye the story, God's banner exalted shall be. The earth shall be full of his knowledge and glory as waters that cover the sea.